Today's reading is Psalm 30. A psalm, a song, for the dedication of the temple of David. I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. Sing the praises of the Lord, you his faithful people. Praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you favored me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What is gained if I am silenced, if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me in joy, that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord my God, I will praise you forever. Amen. You know, as I look back on my life, I consider all the ways that God has shown up, and I have a lot to be grateful for. And I was had the opportunity, you know, blessing of growing up in a wonderful, safe family. I had a relatively carefree and uh, safe childhood, and I have I think I experienced relatively good physical health, and I'm appreciative of all the opportunities that have crossed my path over the years. But it doesn't mean that there haven't been times of darkness. I've also experienced a season of burnout and depression where I found it difficult to sleep. My mind was racing, couldn't get my thoughts to, go, uh, to settle down, and I felt stuck. I felt stuck in my position. I felt stuck in a family situation that required a lot of wisdom and self-awareness that I really didn't have at the time and probably still don't have. And so I began seeking counsel to sort out my thoughts and my desires. I prayed and asked God for help and direction. I asked God to lift me up out of this uh, difficulty. And often that would be expressed as a prayer, and often it would be expressed as a song, sitting down at the piano and just singing before God. You know, in the book of the Psalms, we have both. We have psalms that are prayers and songs, songs of the Israelites. And we may not have the melodies for these songs anymore, but they are songs nonetheless. Their words have filled the mouths of generations of Jews and Christians through the ages. Their words have been declared over and over in almost every single possible situation faced in the history of humanity. The Psalms have been a balm for the soul. They've been a balm for my soul. You know, I've learned that the Psalms have always given voice to my present circumstances. They helped me pray these words that I didn't know I needed to pray. But their power also comes in giving vocabulary to a future 
time that express a state of my being. They give voice to the longing of my soul that I didn't realize I needed until I got there. Hence the title of our sermon series, Soothing Psalms for the Soul. Each week this summer, mostly following the psalms of the lectionary, we will return to various psalms to allow them to fill our souls, but also our memories, that we may find strength in them, not just in them themselves, but in the one to whom they point. Now, if there's a psalm that has been particularly meaningful to you, we'd love to hear your story through this series. Take a moment and reflect on your favorite psalm. Maybe some of them pop up in your memory. And how has it been a comfort to you? Because I love to hear from you, and I'm sure others would be encouraged as well. So share it with us at the link on the screen. Yeah, just share here psalms stories. And we love to hear. And because God, we believe, speaks through all of us and speaks to us through psalms. Now, in today's message, we are reminded of the help that they offer in times of difficulty and darkness. You know, as hard as it may be to see at the time, we discover that there is always help available to us. Help to get comfort, help through the dark night, and ultimately help to get God. When we come to the opening verses of this psalm, it's very easy, I think, for me at least, to connect our discomfort with the words of David. You know, we've all encountered seasons in our lives when we feel like the psalmist David does, right? We feel stuck in the mud. We feel overwhelmed. We feel like we're drowning. We feel like there's perhaps people dead set against our presence and perhaps even our existence. We're sick and we want to be healthy again. And we might even consider death to be a better option than our present suffering. That's real. We want comfort for our discomfort, right? We want relief so that our senses and our hearts aren't overwhelmed. And this is where the Psalms come to comfort us. They give us words to name our emotions. And that's the first level of comfort that the Psalms offer to us. They give us permission to cry, permission to express anguish, permission to be angry, permission to feel the weight of our sin, permission to lament the injustices in our world. In many ways, the Psalms free us. They free us to express ourselves authentically as we are and as we feel. And it's certainly okay to feel what you feel. What's often not okay is expressing your feelings in ways that are not constructive. For example, the way you express your emotions to your partner, to your employee, to your boss, maybe even before a judge. Those, you all do things differently depending on the nature of the relationship. There are some things that you can say to your boss that, or no, to your spouse that you may not want to say to your boss, right? But with the living God, there is no limit to how we express our emotions before God. God can take it all. And that's incredibly comforting. But there's another level of help merely beyond expressing our emotions that the Psalms offer us. More than your mic falling off your ear. 
And it's the help from the, the one from whom, uh, to whom we express our emotions towards. In Scripture, we find that the living God actually can do something about our, our circumstances. Not only does God hear what we feel, but God can do something about it. The psalmist David says, You lifted me up. You did not let my enemies gloat over me. You healed me. You brought me up. You spared me. The poet Maya Angelou gave some wisdom about how to face difficult circumstances. She says, if you don't like something, then change it. And if you can't change it, then change your attitude. It's a good source of wisdom because we can't always change everything. All we can do is change our responses. And the Psalms do help us emote, and they do help us change our attitudes because they help us see a bigger picture than what's going on. But that's not primarily why they're helpful to us. The great comfort of the Psalms is that we can actually emote to someone who can do something about our situation. The one we emote to has power to defeat death, the power to defeat sickness and sadness and our enemies. Do your friends have that power? Does your therapist have that power? Especially when you don't pay the bill? Maybe they're willing to have that power, but they don't have that power. And only the God of Scripture does. But there's something unsaid here, an assumed presumption. The one we emote to the, the, the comfort of the Psalms is that they give us permission to emote. To emote authentically and that the living God we cry out to has the power and willingness to do something about it. When was the last time you let God have it all with what you were feeling? When was the last time that you truly voiced your emotions towards God? Your frustration, your anger your sadness. And perhaps that is one step that you can take this summer through this series to find comfort, at least, in the voicing of your emotions before God. Now, I mentioned an assumption that I'm getting to right now. There's an unsaid assumption here. It's the same assumption that comes or is revealed somewhat in the title of our series, Soothing Psalms for the Soul. And that unspoken assumption is that our comfort is really what's most important to us. You know, that is a very Western and a very American value. My comfort and my sense of relief are ultimate in my happiness. I must have those things. And anything that threatens my comfort, threatens my safety, threatens my sense of my soul being at rest, those are things that must be out of my lives. And we will do anything to guard our comfort from being disturbed. But Psalm 30 points to something further beyond our comfort. Psalm 30 reminds us that not only do we find help from God, our help for for our comfort, but we find help through the dark night. No, not this dark night. Another dark night. The dark night of the soul. You know, the dark night of the soul is a phrase popularized by the 16th century Catholic mystic named St. John of the Cross. 
He endured tremendous hardship through his life, and he vowed a life of simplicity as a monk with the Carmelite Catholic order. In verse, uh, Psalm 30, verse 5, we hear of David's reference to a dark night. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Now, this verse often reminds us that pain and suffering and difficult circumstances are not meant to be temp- uh, permanent for those who trust in God. Morning will come. Set and set in the context of this first few verses, it's very natural to think that this dark night of the soul refers to some deep and dark times of our lives. And they certainly feel that way, and it's certainly appropriate to voice it that way. Lord, when are you going to take me through this dark night? But, you know, St. John of the Cross takes the dark night of the soul to mean something different. It's not just a description of the seasons of discomfort and disorientation in our lives. It's a specific kind of season through and a process through which we are led into further delight and further union with the living God. You know, for St. John of the Cross, the dark night refers to the stages of purification outlined in his poem entitled The Dark Night. The first stage of the dark night in stanza one describes this release from the power and comfort that our bodily senses long for. We think that those, these objects that our appetites and our desires long for will satisfy us. Those things, uh, but they merely point us to a more significant longing. And this first stage to acknowledge our senses, while they're often trustworthy, while they're often good, they're merely there to point us to the light of God's love at work in us that lead us to Christ, the beloved. And he moves on to the second stage of this dark night in stanza three, when we realize that even the comfort of God's presence and even the comfort that we seek in God's gifts to us, those are merely temporary. They are not the goal because they too can be used for selfish desire. Take a look at verse 6 and 7 on the screen here. In verses 6 and 7 of the psalm, David outlines this myth of security that privilege and comfort brings. When we are happy and secure, we think that we can never be shaken. When we experience God's favor and blessings, we find that it is very easy to praise God. But in the process of this dark night of the soul, when God's face seems hidden from us, it is there that we discover a gift that is about to come. And though the dark night seems at that time to be an obstacle to our relief, we discover that it is in God's mercy that it is often the path to true relief in God. Now, God is always gracious to welcome us as we come before God with our needs, with our d- prayers. We want the comfort of relief. I'm not saying don't come to God because this is exactly what the psalm says. But there's something more to the comfort that we are looking for. We want the comfort of sensing God's presence. We want the comfort that God's gifts bring to us. But even here, while we look to God for help, It can sometimes be our comfort and our relief that is often revealed to be the true God in our lives. We lay all other priorities down in the service of that comfort, in the service of that safety and the happiness that we think that is promised by it. 
And the God whose name we call upon, the God whose name we pray and maybe sing about and we turn to, is merely the means of obtaining that happiness and comfort. Now, St. John's Dark Night of the Soul describes this necessary but very painful experience that the soul endures to find a better comfort. And that comfort is union with God. That comfort is ultimately what the human soul and human existence are designed for. Desolation and despair are the usual emotions felt in this stage. Yet no matter how long this emptiness continues, it's God's mercy that we find helps our soul still cling to God and say, God, where are you? You know, because if you didn't believe that God was there, then you wouldn't even bother asking where God was. That's God's spirit at work in you. And this painful process is often necessary so that we learn to seek God for God's sake not for what God will do for us, not for the sake of the comfort and happiness that God brings. Only then can we enjoy the true gift uh, to humanity, which is perfect union with the living God of the universe. Now, if you're following along so far, you're thinking, Andrew, again, you're depressing me. (laughs) I came to consider the Christian faith because it offered help and relief for my suffering. And now you're saying I have to pass through more pain and more suffering to really get God? So hold on with me for just a moment. You know, the beauty of the Christian faith is that we don't get God, we don't get union with God based on our strength, based on our wisdom, and based on our willingness to pass through difficult things. The psalmist David doesn't have the language that we might have now on this side of the cross. But he begins pointing to this help to get God. Note what he points to as the object of his praise. Is the object of his praise his newfound comfort and relief? Or is it something or someone else? Take a look at verse 4. It says, Sing praises to the Lord, you his faithful people. Praise his holy name. You know, after this intimate disclosure of his personal prayer life, verse 4 is where he opens it up for others to see and invites others in. It's his public-facing invitation for people. If he had social media, that would be his Instagram account. Uh, What would be on his feed if we saw King David's social media? A humble brag about his new comfort? A photo of a sunrise, hashtag blessed, hashtag joy comes in the morning. No. Instead, he points people not to his new situation, not to his comfort, but to the living God who delivered him and helped him. He says, sing praises to the Lord, you his faithful people. Sing praises to his holy name. So my question for you, what do you and who do you, what do you, what do we invite to be celebrated in our lives? Is it us? Is it our lifestyle? Is it our new comforts that we find? Or is it the living God? Now, I know fully social media is limited, but it's a reflection. What do you celebrate? What does our public-facing side reveal about who we worship and who we praise?
my sense is that maybe in America we praise our lifestyle a little more than we praise God, even though we like to use God in those statements. You look further towards the end of the psalm. After reminding himself that the Lord is our help, he closes off the psalm with a declaration that he will not be silenced. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. You know, David came to know that he could only rely on the mercy of God to get God's help. David knew that he could not problem solve, he could not defeat his enemies, he could not tear down oppressive structures on his own. He could only rely on the help of God to get God. And on this side of the cross, we have something far, we have something that David didn't get to see quite so clearly. The Apostle John writes of this help in 1 John chapter 5. In verse 5, he says, Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Who is it that overcomes? He's not referring to Jesus here. He's referring to anyone who believes in Jesus. God provides Jesus, God's Son, to be our help. This verse reminds us that of the help to overcome the world that is offered to us. And we receive it through belief in Christ. We can find great comfort to face difficult circumstances because of what Jesus has done for us. Because on the cross, he goes through what we would never choose to go through on our own. To die for our sin. For our brokenness, our disordered desires, for our uh, ways that we are Uh, We take control of our lives that we are never meant to take control of. And through the cross, we are joined to God. And Jesus passes through this darkest night of the soul. He experiences disunion. He experiences disconnection with God the Father and God the Spirit for the first time in history so that we who believe don't have to. That's the help that God gives to us. But there's more to the help that Jesus offers to get God. Take a look at verse 20. A verse, uh, it's up on the screen. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Verse 20 reminds us that Jesus does not Uh, not only help us overcome the world, overcome difficult circumstances, and lift us up out of the pit, he also helps us understand and know the true and living God of the universe. Jesus helps us get God. Jesus helps us really get God in a way that is never possible on our own. And John uses union language here. He says, you who are in him, or who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. In other words, when we are one with Jesus, we are one with the true and living God. When we think of what this oneness is, we're going to be exploring this probably in the next year, in the coming years. What does it mean to be one with God and to live into this union with God? And you see, Jesus is not some deficient, second-rate derivative of the divine. You get all of divinity in Jesus. 
So if you're one with Jesus, you're one with the living God of the universe. And so that's why we talk and we sing and we pray to Jesus so much here at WCF because Jesus really is the way to know and enjoy the living God of the universe. Jesus is God's help to help us get God. You know, this summer, as we journey through the Psalms, may you come to know and see and love Jesus more and more. Because you will come to know and see and love God more and more as you do so. May you know God's help and relief in difficult circumstances. And may you know God's help through this dark night of the soul. But most of all, may you know the help to get God through his son, Jesus. Amen.